0: Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Well, hello everyone. It is so good to be back in action. I know we've taken a little bit of a hiatus, about two weeks and the reason for that is I moved, I have been recording these in my closet. I know it's called Church in the Basement, but I've been recording in the closet. Um, and now I have an opportunity to record in my basement. So I have been setting up sort of an office space in my basement and trying to get it all ready. And that has required a lot of work. So Clark, if you're listening, thank you for your help. Um. And yeah, so here we are. We're actually in the basement, recording church in the basement, in the basement. So if you hear any sort of uh, basement noises, that's why. We're in the basement. I think that's awesome. I think that's so cool. Uh, Also, before we get started, I want to say happy birthday, Dad. If you're listening, in a sea of dads uh, or fathers that are present physically Um, but absent uh, in sort of intentionality with with their kids, um, or the opposite, they just aren't present at all uh, physically in the lives of their children, Uh, you really stepped up and you were there for us when um, just through our childhood. And you really were an incredible example of what it looks like to lean into what we're going to talk about today uh walking in the way of Jesus leading your family um working hard uh setting up rhythms in your life um to really submit yourself to God and lead and serve others uh with a servant heart um and your gentle spirit um and your love for me as well as my siblings And, um, mom, thank you so much, uh, for loving us and serving us, but submitting yourself to Christ. I cannot thank you enough. Um, happy birthday. Wow. I'm crying already. Well, uh, here we are. Uh, we are in John, the gospel of John and remember we are in John 14 today, and remember, the Gospel of John is purely written not to lay out historical uh, the historical events of Jesus' life, but to prove that Jesus is God. That out of the Trinity, the Father who wills it all, the Son who carries out the will of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is the delight between the two, uh, the three persons of the one God— John sets out to prove that Jesus is the son, that person of God. And we see a number of different times where his deity is laid out. And we're, we're in a, a, what's called the upper room discourse. Uh, there are a number of different discourses through the gospels, but we are in the one called the upper room discourse. And it stretches from uh, John chapter 13 on through 17 where Jesus starts off uh, celebrating the Passover with his disciples, which was something that most Jews would celebrate. All Jews would celebrate the Passover meal, which was to celebrate uh, the exodus out of Egypt. There was the plague uh, that finally uh, caused Pharaoh to say, yes, you can go where uh, God passed over or God passed through Egypt and took the life of the firstborn. Uh, of each household, but he told Israel, instead of your firstborn dying, you can sacrifice a lamb, a spotless lamb, and to prove that you did this, that you wipe the blood above the doorpost. I know this sounds wild, but it's a substitutionary death, um, which then again points to Jesus They didn't know this, um, but the disciples are sitting there celebrating this substitutionary death that led them out of captivity into freedom, freedom to follow God and what he was asking them to do. Little did they know they were sitting at the table with the spotless lamb, the one whom that act, that Plague that uh, move into freedom, out of captivity into freedom, was pointing to uh, the one who would be killed, murdered, um, and whose blood would send us out of captivity from sin into freedom with God. Living a life of love in his image and being able to freely... Uh, live what true life is, and so they 're celebrating this meal, and Jesus ends up washing their feet, uh, which then he sort of turns on its head this idea of hierarchy, right They saw him as teacher and Lord, and he said that those are like the right the r- right titles for me, Teacher and Lord, but I have come to serve, not to lord over you, but to serve. And that's the way he um, carries out his kingship as a servant. And so sort of turning upside down their perception of God's kingdom. And then he continues by uh, what many would say, he's identifying a traitor in the midst, Judas Iscariot. But what he does is, after he washes Judas's feet, he extends friendship to Judas. And in a moment where many would say he's just identifying the traitor, if you don't know the historical context, when he dips the bread in the fig paste and he hands it to Judas, he's extending friendship towards Judas up until the end. And again, I'm just recapping chapter 13. Up until the end, he's extending friendship towards Judas saying, I'm with you to the end. And then he says, go and do what you're going to do quickly after Satan had entered into him. Pretty intense, right? So he's identified a traitor and then uh, has a conversation with Peter where where he's saying, I have to go somewhere where you guys can't go. And Peter's like, why can't I go with you? I would lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, well, you, you would lay down your life for me. You're actually going to deny me. You're going to deny me and you're going to walk away from me as most of them would. And so this panic sort of stirs up. And as Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, you can't come with me. uh, You have to realize they've been walking with Jesus for three years and he has been their everything ever since he said, uh, come and follow me. He's been providing their purpose Uh, financially, like just giving provision in general, like in every aspect of, of their lives. And now he's saying he's leaving. So you can imagine the panic that is going through their minds and their hearts. And that brings us to chapter 14, where it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am going, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas, thank, thank you disciples for asking such great questions. Uh, Thomas, who is known as the doubter, asks this great question or or in a panic Uh, presents this to Jesus. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. Incredible statement. This is a very famous statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you have been in the, in the community of, of Christ followers, you've probably heard this. You've heard me say, We walk in the way of Jesus. That comes from this. Um, and there are some other teachers that I lean on who use that terminology as well um, walking in the way of Jesus. And there are three components to what Jesus is saying as, as we see Thomas in this desperate state after Jesus has made this statement about uh, in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you, which again, to clarify, this isn't maybe you've heard the terminology or it says in your Bible, there's these mansions and you've heard this idea that there are all these mansions uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. But it says, my father's house has many rooms. So it's a big, big house. Yeah, just like the song, uh, a big house with many rooms where we would dwell together with God. Because again, God is the focal point. It's not the mansion that you get to live in. It's not the eternal fishing pond that you get to fish out of. It's God. And God is the wonderful part of eternity. That's the prize. He is the prize. But as Thomas is is panicking about the way, I don't know the way. Where is the way? Jesus, you have to explain to us. You're saying you know the way. Where is it? Instead of scribbling down on a napkin directions, Jesus says, I am the way. I will take you there. Giving them this opportunity to put their full confidence in him still, even though he is leaving, he is, he is with us and he is present. And we're going to see in, in a little bit, we're going to see that he's talking about leaving his very spirit again, father, the father who wills it all the son who carries out the will of the father and the spirit that is the delight between the two. He's going to leave his spirit behind to show the way to give the directions um or not even give the directions but to take you to the places where you need to go that there are no directions involved it just requires leaning in and knowing who is taking you there um and so over the next few weeks i am going to lean into these three components we have the way and the truth and the life and so today i I'd, I'd like to talk about the way And the way I'm going to do that is in Hebrews 12, um, it says, it says this, so this is after it talks about what's, what's known as the hall of faith. So it's talking about all these different individuals who had faith. Um, and because we see a therefore, and we've talked about this, therefore connects to the previous text and it's talking about all these individuals in scripture that had faith, um, And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we see a number of different things here. We see a race being run. Um, that we've got this cloud of witnesses, and it sort of paints this picture that there are uh, there's this there's this group of people who have finished well, who are sort of on the sidelines and they're cheering us on. And you know, I think the things to take away is that there are people who have gone before us. Um, who know, who know what we're going through, and who who got through it, right? But what it's talking about is is this race where instead of being encumbered by sin, we lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. So if we're running a race, uh, and and you put on a weighted vest, you're going to perform. Um, you're going to perform worse than if you have as little weight as possible. When you run a marathon, you're wearing these very this very light jersey and shorts, right? You've got very light but but supportive running shoes and a lot goes into that because you don't want to carry any extra weight. There are even check marks where you can get your water. Um, and your nourishment, because you don't want to carry that with you. So weight is a big deal, especially in an endurance race. Um, So he's talking about every weight and sin. So anything that's going to hold us back from running and running a long time, we need to lay that aside. We have a certain amount of responsibility When we walk into a relationship with Jesus, when we recognize his work on the cross, which it talks about here, who for the, in verse two, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So it's in the cross that he has made a way for us to come into communion with him and be with Jesus, come close to him, draw near to him and now we can lay aside our weight and our sin because we lay it at his feet. We lay it at his feet. He's gone before us and he's made a way. It's like he's clearing the path in the marathon. Um he's 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 clearing the way. It's it's like one of those vans, right, that goes before um before the runners. Uh, I've I've seen that in those really really long races, right? Um where he's clearing a path, but what is he also doing here and I think the key looking to Jesus the founder and perfector of our faith I've been meditating on this um just this little snippet here because some of your Bibles may say the founder or the author or or basically talking, this word encompasses a starting point, right? That he founded it, he started it, he wrote it. He is the beginning point. But it also says, and the perfecter. So why does it have both of these words? If if you are made perfect... If you are perfected, is there any more work that needs to be done in you? No, you're perfect, right? So it's basically indicating within Hebrews 12 here, it's saying Jesus starts you out in walking in the way and he finishes you and everywhere between, right? And this is what Jesus is talking about in in. In the gospel of John, in John 14, where he's saying, I am the way. He's taking you to where you need to go. And so many of us think when we start out and we believe in Jesus and we believe in the work of the cross, that he went up on the cross and died instead of us. Like what we were talking about with the Passover celebration. He died instead of us so that we could be in relationship with God. That when we give our lives to Christ, now it's up to us. Because every other religion, um, every other belief system is very works-based. And he even talks about this here, um, or or throws this out here, that no one comes to the Father except through me. That him being the way is so important for us to understand that it's not out of our striving— that we get to God. It's through Jesus. It's through being with him daily and walking with him side by side, holding his hand and relying on him daily and submitting to him. He is the focal point. He is the founder and the perfector, the author and the perfecter, the beginning and the end of your faith and everywhere in between. And how do we set up a life of walking with Jesus? It requires some rhythms in our life, or you may have heard heard them called disciplines. And if you don't know where to go, there's some awesome resources. John Mark Comer, who uh, pastors a church in Portland and has some great books, he wrote a book uh, more recently called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And Maybe you've heard me talk about this uh, either in person or um, on the—I'm I, I, not sure if I've talked about it here— But it's a great starting point and sort of clearing out space in your life for the disciplines. Um, There's also The Celebration of Discipline by Richard J. Foster, or he might even, uh, John Mark Comer may even talk about Dallas Willard's book on the spiritual disciplines as well. And I think these are some great starting points in figuring out how do we structure our days, our nights, our mind, and our heart? How do we sort of cultivate a space just like a garden, right? My mom used to always say, uh, when, when you're watching entertainment or sitting down to get involved in something, are you putting weeds in your garden? Um, and I, I think that's so true of our life in that we sort of clutter our life Uh, So much with just all these things that we want to do or we want to be present. And we get to this point where we're like, ah, I'm overwhelmed. And when we come to meet Jesus or we refocus or rededicate our lives to Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus, you are the way. How do I make space for these other components of what he's talking about, the truth and the life? How do I make space? And I think walking in the way of Jesus, um, the starting point, the way point, um, and refocusing on Jesus and, and seeing him as the one holding our hand is we have to make space in our life. We have to make space to walk with him. We have to make space in our minds and in our hearts to dwell on him. We have to make space in our inner dialogue to pray without ceasing, as Paul talks about in scripture. And so I would encourage you, if you are struggling with this and maybe have a hard time uh, bringing in uh, the spiritual disciplines is what they're called, um, or maybe you don't even know what those are, uh, I'm going to refer you to those three books. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is a great starting point in how to clear space, uh, very practical in how to clear space in your life, um, uh, mentally and physically. Um as well as For the Disciplines Themselves, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard J. Foster or um, Dallas Willard's book, Spiritual Disciplines. Um, Some great points to start. Uh, And I want to encourage you to meditate on this, as I have, just this line in verse 2 of Hebrews 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His spirit dwells inside of each and every person who has said yes to Jesus, who has said, yes, I recognize your sacrifice on the cross. I need your help. When we cry out for his help and we submit our lives to him, instead of trying to control it ourselves, he sends a helper. And it's the Holy Spirit. So would you rely on him as the author and the perfecter, as the beginning and the end of your faith and everywhere in between? Would you trust in Jesus and meditate on the scripture, framing our hearts and our minds to walk in the way of Jesus? Let this be your encouragement for this week. I love you guys, and I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Have a good one.